Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace unto us, uh, your sustaining, life-giving, wholehearted uh, grace to our um, to the holes in our hearts. We just ask that you would come now once again and bless us with the knowledge of our Savior. And we ask, Lord God, that you would teach us, give us uh, receptive hearts, ears to hear, and eyes to see all that you have done for us and given to us in yourself. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this is so this is the third week in... Um, a four-week series, but it, uh, like I said before, they don't—they I mean, kind of stand alone. So it's not really—if you've missed the last two, no big deal. Uh, one-on-one with Jesus, what we're going to uh, do and what we're doing in this series is just taking a look at um, at one-on-one conversations that Jesus had with folks. It uh, is important for us uh, individually and corporately, really, but just individually to to. Um, to see what the Lord had to say. So we looked at Nicodemus a couple of weeks ago, and we really talked about what it means to be born again and, and, um, and how what a great phrase that is, even though it sort of gets smudged a little bit in our, in our uh, society. And uh, we looked last week at the rich young ruler, which chat, challenged our notions of satisfaction and salvation. So um, this week, what does the fox say? Maybe a little bit um, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, the woman caught in adultery. And uh, so we're going to take a look at that. And the next week we'll look at uh, Satan and the temptation narratives, uh, the one-on-one conversation that Jesus had had there. So uh, the woman caught in adultery. Uh, let's just read uh, the passage. John 8, uh, verses 1 through 12. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees uh, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said uh, to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Here's the one-on-one conversation. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the gospel of the Lord. There's lots and lots of ways to preach and teach uh, this passage. Um, 
One way is to talk about moral reformation versus spiritual transformation. Um, I think that's a, a really compelling way. And um, just when Jesus, what does Jesus mean when he says, "Go and and sin no more"? Um, I think the NIV says, "Go and and lead leave the life of sin behind you." Um, moral reformation versus spiritual transformation. Um, Tim Keller says that that moral reformation looks at the rules, while spiritual reformation looks at the ruler. And I think that's really helpful. But today, uh, what I want to I want to say two things out of this passage. Um, uh, we see number one, we see that grace upholds the law. Uh, grace upholds the law. Number two, we see that grace holds up the sinner. So, grace upholds the law, but holds up the sinner. We might say, um, lifts up the law, but also uplifts uh, the sinner. So, we're going to take a look at that. Number one, grace upholds the law. We have this notion, I think, or it's easy to sort of make this, uh, the assumption that, um, that grace is a relaxing of the law. You know, we live in a new era now. Uh, Jesus do- has done it all, so do your best. God will take care of the rest. Um, you know, wink it off. Uh, God will forgive you. The rules don't matter as much. And there are some rules uh, in the Old Testament that, that don't matter uh, as much. We think about the, um, the ceremonial laws, about the sacrificial system, and, and those don't matter as much because Jesus fulfilled those in the, um, uh, in the, on the cross. And the rules about uh, purity and, um, and, you know, wearing wearing different kinds of, you know, not, not wearing mixed kinds of fabric, and all the ones that kind of get brought out when, we, when, when those um, things get brought up. Uh, grace, uh, we think, often is, is just a relaxing of the law. I'm going to give this person grace. I'm just not going to hold them to the standard. Uh, I'm going to, um, uh, or, or Jesus, you know, when, when Jesus gives us grace, we think about he gives us, um, you know, he just doesn't, doesn't have such a high standard for us. Anymore, and that, isn't that great? What well, that is good news, right? Um, and it could be, but but grace is not the same thing as, as anarchy, you know, where there are just not any rules anymore. Uh, grace actually upholds the law. Jesus never taught um, that. In fact, he took the law uh, to the highest pitch. Um, I'm going to read uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five. Um, just starting a little bit after the Beatitudes and where he says that um, that you are the salt of the earth. So he says, uh, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, which is, my mom used to always say that, not, not, not one iota. You know, and I, I never knew what in the world that meant, you know, until I got to seminary. It's, this, it's an I, you know, which is a, to the smallest little letter of, 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 the, la- of the alphabet. So it would be the, not the small one, not one letter, the smallest letter uh, from the law. Not one iota, not, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches, teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great 
in the kingdom of heaven. So, so Jesus is not saying that that what he he is not advocating a relaxing of law. In fact, he's saying that if you teach the law and you do the law, then you will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He goes on a a minute later and says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him get her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You've heard it said to those of old, you should not swear falsely. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or the earth, for it is his footstool. And on and on and on. Jesus uh, says that our righteousness should exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, but they they were flawless. I sort of always thought that he was just saying, you know, they're hypocrites, and what they're doing is they're saying one thing, but they're really boozing it up in the back room. That, that's, um, they're really, they're, you know, what, they're, what they are outwardly and what they are privately is, is different. But that, the more I've come to learn, that, I really, I'm sure that happened. But, um, but, it's, uh, but that was isolated. I mean, the fair, they, were, they loved the law. They, they really spent all their lives, you know, trying to learn it and adhere to it. Um, uh, but Jesus says, uh, he, he says that you think the law is tough? I mean, you, don't, you haven't even begun to understand what the law is really about. Uh, what the law is, how tough the law really is. I mean, it's conceivable that you could get to a point where you really are keeping the law. You are, uh, you've gone to the, to the fabric store and you've gotten some tassels to sew on, on your shirts and you uh, have made sure that you're not mixing your fabrics uh, anymore You've got that taken care of, so now you know uh, you've arranged your schedule so that you're able to keep the Sabbath, and you're you've gone to the grocery store the day before, so you're not going out that day, and um, and and you're eating kosher because that's just you've learned how to do that, and and you're you know grit your teeth, but you're respectful to your parents, and 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 you're faithful to your spouse. I mean, you can follow the law, and and that is, I mean that I'm, some of you have got hives right now when you hear me saying that you you can follow the law. Um, but Jesus, uh, so what I'm saying is that you can you can get to a point where, and I'm not saying you'll never fall short, uh, but you can get to a point where you can master most of the externals of the law. That that's not, uh, and that's what they did. Uh, but Jesus says it, it, he he takes it far beyond external conformity to internal uh, obedience. He says you've heard it said. And he lifts up the law. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. But he's, he's, it's not just about getting to heaven without having killed anybody or, or not having slept around. He says it's, it's really about what's going on in your heart. If you have been angry with your brother, then you've killed him. 
if you looked at a woman lustfully, then you have slept with her in your heart. And, and here's the thing. The reason, the reason that you didn't actually kill him or that you didn't actually sleep with her, aside from what she wanted, uh, was the fact that if you did those things, you would get caught and you would have to suffer the consequences. And so you actually are, the re- you're not doing it because you hate those things. You're, doing, you're not doing it because you love yourself. Now, let me, let me just say, if it comes down to, all right, well, I, I want to commit adultery, but I'm not going to because I sort of love myself and don't want to have to suffer the consequences, then don't do it. That's a, that's a better choice, you know, to not do it. I don't, I don't mean to, I don't want it to ever be said that, um, that it's, a, it's not totally worthy to make that external choice. Make the external choice. What Jesus has said, though, is that the law has condemned us. I want to read to you from... Um, uh, Martin Luther, I mean, I didn't finish that sentence. The law, Jesus says, the law has condemned us even if we have upheld the external of the law. Because, um, and now so sort of back that up and to fill that in, let me read um, from Martin Luther in his um, preface to the book of Romans. Um, Martin Luther says this, he says, you must get used to the idea that it is one thing to do the works of the law and quite another to fulfill it. I'll read that again just so that kind of sinks in. It is one thing to do the works of the law and quite another to fulfill it. The works of the law are everything that a person does or can do of his own free will and by his own powers to obey the law. That's getting to the end without killing somebody. Um, But because in doing such works the heart abhors the law and yet is forced to obey it, that's that self-interest, I'm tithing but not because I love God or because I'm joyfully giving, but because I, uh, because I feel like I have to or God's going to kill me. Um, you're doing such good works, the heart abhors the law and yet is forced to obey it. The works themselves are a total loss and are completely useless. That's what St. Paul means in chapter 3 of Romans when he says, No human being is justified before God through the works of the law. How can such a work please God if it proceeds from an averse and unwilling heart? But to fulfill the law means to do its work eagerly, lovingly, and freely without the constraint of the law. It means to live well and in a manner pleasing to God as though there were no law or punishment. It's the Holy Spirit who puts such eagerness of unconstrained love into the heart. So what Martin Luther is saying is that that when we do the works of the law, um, because in order to uh, serve ourselves, we're forced to obey it because we obeying it is, in some sense, better than facing the consequences of not obeying it. That that's doing the work of the law, but that's not fulfilling the work of the law. That fulfilling the work of the law is doing so as if there were no law. You're driving along. I love going 40 miles an hour. I love it. That's that hill down by Brookwood. You're just, just making sure... I'm not going to afford it because I love the law. Are you serious? I mean, who is who's not looking over their shoulder? I know where the cop sits, right? You know, like, um, you know, I I I'll hit my brakes right you know right before you get to the bridge because I know you know so um you because I I don't want to face the consequences, but that's the only reason that I'm not going 70 down. And actually, on Sunday morning, you know, he's not going to be there. So. Um, <laughs> Um, to, you, to obey the law, to fulfill the law, 
is to do the work because you love the lawgiver. Because you want to please him. Because it is your delight to love him. In fact, the only way to avoid committing adultery in our hearts or to commit murder in our hearts, and on down the list, I'm just lifting those two out, is, is to love God so frequently and so earnestly that, that it never even crosses our mind to look lustfully at someone who's not our spouse. And there's, only, there's, there's been many people who have fulfilled the works of law. I mean, probably not perfectly, but in their adult life. But there's never, there's only been one to fulfill the works of the law. There's only been one man who never committed adultery in his heart, who never hated, who was being beaten and murdered you know, it was unjustly and loved them and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's to fulfill uh, the work of the law. So, in our, in our passage uh, today, we have these keepers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're, and they're bringing a lawbreaker before Jesus. This, I mean, these, these are the holy people. These are the, these are the ones that said our righteousness must exceed their righteousness. And they're bringing a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Um, now, the, there, there's no overtones that this woman was a prostitute. She was probably a young woman who was betrothed. She was engaged. And um, so she's probably a teenager. And she was caught... Uh, in the act of adultery. And uh, Leviticus 20, verse 10 says that if a, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely uh, be put to death. The law is very severe. It's very severe. Uh, but it's also very just. I mean, that's part of the whole thing about the law. It's very just. Um, there had to be multiple witnesses seeing that it couldn't be one person it had to be multiple witnesses seeing uh, the offense whatever the offense happened to be not probable cause okay um, not we saw her leaving the apartment or we peeked in in the window and saw that there were two people under the sheets and they weren't married they saw them in the act I mean think of think of the shame. Think of the disgrace. She, this, they're not in a private room. They're in the, in the court of the temple. I mean, there are people everywhere. And she's hauled out in front of God and, and who knows else. And, and held up and said, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. There was, it was very, because because the the law was so just and, and and it had to be multiple witnesses seeing the act. It was very very rare that anybody would be put to death for this because nobody ever saw it. And so, uh, and so, the, I mean the other question is how how did this how did they see it? What what were they doing? And where's the guy? Because the law says both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be surely put to death. Um, and we get into this idea of, you know, she's, 
she's she has um, taken herself out of the favor of society. Uh, in their society, as, as in our own, they, they, uh, it was much easier to condemn a woman for an indiscretion than to disc- for a man. Now they could have, she could have been, they could be both in the in the cell somewhere. They just grab her and bring her up. You know, it doesn't mean that they, she doesn't mean they just grabbed her that morning um, out of bed. But, um, but you know, you wonder where was, where was he? It smell, you know, it sort of some. There's been some preachers or, or commentators on this passage that have said it actually was a setup. I mean, you kind of get into the sort of vile heart of the of the Pharisees and the scribes who were bringing this woman, that they actually had her seduced. Um, it, we're not told that. Um, I think that might be going a little bit far, but but it's clear that they're not coming to her for, they're not coming to Jesus for advice. You know, they're not, they're not saying, this never happens, teacher, you know, and you know so much. What, what do we do here? The law says we're supposed to kill. What do we do? They're not doing that. They're, they, they are, um, they are trying to. They're not concerned with justice. They don't care about this woman. Um, they don't care about the man. They're, they're just all they want to do is trap Jesus, and they want to trap him um, in a situ- into a situation where they could accuse him. Says they want to bring a charge uh, against him, and so they put him really in, a, in like like we see so many other times. They put him in sort of a an impossible situation where. Um, they say, if uh, here's here's the law, and we and it says we've got a stoner. So so what do you say? So what's the dilemma? You know, if if you say, I mean, he, he, to Jesus who has the he's a friend of sinners, right? He has, he has this reputation. He has dinner with with sinners and tax collectors, and yet he says he's the son of God. And so um, and so they bring this woman and say. What about the law of Moses? And if he says, well, you know, gosh, <laughs> that was a long time ago, sort of outdated, you know, we really just... Then, then, then they've got him. He's, he's a false messiah. He's, he's not upholding the law of, of Moses. But if they say, yeah, you know, that's what it says, so let's do it, then he's not the friend of sinners. He he is um, just but not merciful, or he's merciful but not just. And that is that is those are the horns that they're trying to hook him on. And what is amazing is that Jesus doesn't walk down either one of those paths. Yes, she's guilty, and yes, I'm merciful. So let the one who is without sin among you cast the first stone. Um, I have a friend, and uh, he's actually been here as a Linton preacher, uh, Jacob Smith, who's in Manhattan. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember him. And um, he, I mean, he, he, he and I graduated from seminary together. It's about seven years ago. Four years ago, I was with him, and he said, "I have had 20 years of experience uh, in ministry in these last three years." Uh, he um, he lived uh, in an apartment that the that the church owned right in Manhattan. It was uh, right they had a school and there was a playground, and all night long, people from I don't know even what would be on the playground doing awful things, and um, and he could and they were screaming and he could 
hear them and it was just going out of it was just it was out of control people were um loitering and, and leaving all sorts of needles and condoms and all sorts i mean it was just it was um it was an awful situation they were doing it um there uh right outside of his apartment they were doing it uh just being around the around the church building because um because they could and he went to the police and he said i you gotta help me out you know and 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 i what what do i what am i gonna do and, and the police said listen you know we every time that you guys call we come and haul away and you never press charges so we're not coming anymore and he looked at the cop and he said, I'm, I'm taking it from here and I'm pressing charges. So next time I call, you come and get him. So a couple days later, his phone rings. We got a guy here who's been caught public urination. I'm sure that wasn't that. That wasn't the accident. We got a guy here who was, uh, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and he says in the, in the background, he hears, Father Jake. Father Jake, it wasn't me, Father Jake. It was the sexton of the church. Father Jake, I won't do it again. What do you want us to do? He said, book him. <laughs> book him. And the rector of the church got so upset. He, he said, what? These are, what is our charge? We have to care for these people. Like, what are, what are you doing? He said, I thought you were a grace guy. And I, when Jacob's telling this story, and, and he, he tell, it was tell it far better than I, but he, he said his response to that, I thought you were a grace guy, was so, um, it has stuck with me. He said, grace is nothing without the law. It was profound. Because grace doesn't mean a relaxing of the law. What, they hadn't created a, a scenario of grace. They had create, created anarchy. You could do whatever you want. It was, it was the book of Judges. Everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. It's our whole society. It's not grace. Grace uh, upholds. The law of God. Because the law of God is good. It reflects the character of God. Jesus upholds the law to the highest pitch. The, the hilt of the law. But grace also holds up the sinner. Which is so amazing to me. And Jesus, as they say, what do you say? Jesus, law or, or, or grace? Justice or mercy? Jesus kneels down and writes on the ground. It's the only thing we know that Jesus wrote. <laughs> we don't have anything that Jesus wrote except for that. Wouldn't you love to know what he wrote? There's been all sorts of speculation about what he wrote. Or was he just like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to buy some time. You know, like. <laughs> Here's what I think he was doing. I mean, this woman is brought in the height of shame. All eyes on this woman. And Jesus writes on the ground. So, what's, what's he doing? All eyes suddenly are off of her and onto him. He takes her out of the spotlight as a, as a mercy. You know, I just, I love that. He's drawing all the eyes of the religious to himself. 
And he's arranging sort of this mistrial for the woman, but he's also condemning the self-righteous at the same time. What is he writing? Is he writing from Ezekiel? Is that Ezekiel he's writing? You know, you don't, you don't know. Like, but she's not in the picture anymore. What a grace. He's, he's blessing the guilty and he's condemning um, the self-righteous. He's, he's, he's actually becoming, as he's blessing the guilty, he's actually becoming an offense to the whitewashed tombs. It's just so upside down. It's so upside down. You know, remember last week, was it last week Frank preached about the Pharisee and the tax collector and he said, listen, when it was stewardship season, we want Pharisees. You know, like that's, these are repeat, these are upstanding members of, the, of society. And, and God is doing everything he can by drawing the attention, the same way he draws the attention uh, to himself so it's off of her. He draws our sin to himself so it's off uh, of us. He's creating a safe space for this woman by drawing uh, the judging eyes of the religious uh, to himself. And, he, and then he hits them you know, with that hammer. And just let, all right, well, let the one who is without sin be the first one to cast a stone. And he just bent, you know, and he, he's not like standing over, you know, to, he just bends down and writes in the dirt again. And they heard it. They went away one by one, beginning with the older, wiser, honest <laughs> ones. Jesus never said that the penalty wasn't just, or that it was outdated, or that it wasn't a perfect description of the character of God, faithfulness. But he knew that he would take that penalty of her sin upon himself. And so they're left alone. That one-on-one conversation. Woman. It's not, he's not talking down to her. It's a, it's a respectful address. Woman, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? I mean, can you imagine what's going on in this little girl's mind? <laughs> This teacher of the law in the temple, he doesn't say, all right, they're gone. Let's get this thing straightened out. He doesn't say, did you do it? Tell me the truth now. He just says, has no one condemned you? I mean, why did he say that? It's, it's because she's guilty, right? I mean, he knows. He knows what's in the heart of a man. I love, that's, that has stuck out to me. That was right before Nicodemus. Uh, said, before he talks to Nicodemus, uh, John chapter 2 says he, Jesus knows what's in the heart of a man. I mean, he knows what's in her heart. He knows that she's guilty. The law still has its effect. And, the, and this is, you know, again, the title of the class, What Does the Fox Say? It's a little tongue-in-cheek about the woman caught in adultery. But if you've seen the video, this this silly, it's a silly video that says... Um, I don't know. I mean, Amy can sing it for you. We've watched it so many times that our it, it, it just. Um, I can't recommend other things by this same group. I thought there was like a kids band because it, it's it's really it's not a kids band. Um, the um, but it's like you know the 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 cow goes moo, the elephant goes toot, the fish goes blub. But what does the fox say? You know, it's it's just so silly. The fox doesn't say anything. 
And so what is this woman caught in adultery? I don't know what she looked like, but what does she say? She doesn't have anything to say. She's guilty. She's standing before holiness incarnate. And she's guilty. And he says, she, I mean, she has no defense. And she sa- he says, neither do I condemn you. So go and, and sin no more. Um, he doesn't say don't worry about it. He doesn't say, you know, I mean, we've been, we've all been there. Adultery is not that serious. Let me read Romans eight one. I, before I saw that s- silly video, the um, title of the class was uh, "Skeleton Spotlights in Romans eight one. So, so um, so of course Romans seven ends with. Paul saying, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There, Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you think about yourself, if you are in Christ Jesus and there is no condemnation, I know for myself, like I live in condemnation, like I condemn myself. I, um, I don't know if you. It's, maybe it's, it, it's a personality thing, but I, I just sort of live under the specter of, I should have done this better. Or I wish I hadn't done that. Or I shouldn't have yelled at my kids. Or I shouldn't have done this or that. <coughs> what a balm! Not just a, not just a, a not just a um, sort of friendly pat on the back or a wink, but that they're actually existentially, spiritually, eternally. There is therefore, because of Jesus Christ our Lord, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life, that's grace, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He goes on and on with this phrase, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, like as if we are we are tucked into Him. And we're not just wearing His robes, we're actually... Um, we're actually... Uh, insulated in Christ so that the judgment, his own judgment can't uh, harm us. That he is, We are in Christ Jesus. So the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law paints a picture. It says don't commit adultery. It says don't commit murder. It says, um, it says honor your mother and father. It paints this great picture of what life in God should be lived like, and yet we can't do it in the depths of our heart. And, and it cannot create in us the thing that it wants. It can't, it's, a, it's a picture. It, it's two-dimensional. It doesn't come to life. And yet, grace creates what the Decalogue wants. Grace creates in us what the law wants. It is only after Jesus says that he doesn't condemn her that he then exhorts her to go live the life that she was called to live. It's after she has received the freedom from the, uh, of the spirit of life in Christ, in Christ, that she is able to go and, um, and live the life that, of, of freedom that she was called to live. I mean, adultery is unfaithfulness. And it was a capital offense for, for, several, for several reasons, good reasons. Number one, it, it is, adultery is the destruction of the family unit. Before there was a fall of mankind, God instituted the family. It is the unit of a godly society. A man and a woman 
having a family. And adultery destroys it. It doesn't say that it can't be repaired. I don't know if that's something that has been in your family or has touched your family in some way. Uh, but it can, it can be repaired by grace. But it is the destruction of the family unit. It's fundamental to the unit of God's society. Uh, it, marriage is, number two, marriage is the, is the earthly relationship that reflects our relationship um, to Him. It's a covenant relationship where two parties both have a, a bargain, they're in the bargain that they've agreed to uphold. Marriage is the relationship that God has given to us to reflect our relationship with Him, and we destroy that. We destroy that reflection. It's a serious thing. Number three, if the law presents to us the way that we, um, the, the way that we are to live out the character of God, uh, then we are to be faithful because God is faithful. I mean, Israel's unfaithfulness throughout the Old Testament is constantly called adultery. And so adultery is unfaithfulness. And Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about it. He doesn't say it's not that serious. The law is to the highest hilt. But Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Why? Because he would take the condemnation for her. That That is the scandalous, scandalous grace of Romans 8.1. The, the one, the only one who did not deserve condemnation actually took the condemnation that we deserve, not in a sort of amorphous uh, way, but actually in, a, in, in the ways that we have besmirched his own character and nature, in the way we have said that we know better than him, in the ways that we have, um, we who are called to live out uh, the life that he uh, set up the way that we have destroyed that and stepped on that in our own pride and our arrogance and our selfishness. And God has said, I am going to take the penalty that you deserve. I'm going to take the stoning that this woman deserves upon myself on the cross. The law matters, and he took the penalty. So uh, grace withholds condemnation, but it also empowers application because she then could actually... I mean, that's... I don't know if you've ever received grace other than from Christ in a sort of way that might seem um, um, theoretical. But when you, um, you when you did something that you that deserved condemnation, and what you received and said was love, um, that that is. It changes your relationship with that person. Um, so he says, go and sin no more. That is that is the enabling word of grace. When we have, so that she she's not going to now. She, she she's not going um, to. She, she's not going to avoid adultery now because she doesn't want to face the consequences. It's because she has received the love of God, who knew her sin. And that's for you and for me. Why do I? Uh, I mean, we're, I'm simultaneously just, uh, justified and a sinner, 100% justified, 100% a sinner. And so I do. Uh, but now I hate my adulterous thoughts and my murderous thoughts because because of the grace that I've received, not because I'm afraid of condemnation, but because I have um, because I want to please the Lord. I hate it when I yell at Amy or at my kids or um, in a way that is arrogant or, or prideful or 
angry because God loved me. When you what grace does is is grace can grace makes sure that we know that we are condemned so that we uh, can be loved. That's, that's an impossible thing for us to, to it takes a whole lifetime. It makes sure we know that we deserve judgment so that we can appreciate the fact that judgment has taken, been taken on our behalf. It's only in that realization that we can actually begin to live a life of obedience with any authenticity. It's only by the Holy Spirit, as Martin Luther said, it's only the placing of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And she began to get a glimpse of that in the temple courtyard um, as, as I guess, as, as Jesus walked away. <laughs> And she was left staring. Where did she go? Did she, I mean, I don't, where did she go after that? And Je- Jesus says, um, um, not there. Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. I mean, what a, what a description of the one who has received grace. No longer walking in darkness. I mean, this poor little girl, she, you almost think she couldn't help it. I don't know what this, we don't know what the scenario was, but she couldn't help it. That's what sin does. Joe, you said that uh, she got a glimpse of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we get a glimpse of it from this, but I think mm-hmm. also the Pharisees must have gotten a glimpse of it. Sure. Because it seems like, you know, today the Pharisees would have accused her, uh, and then they would have stoned her, mm-hmm. even after Jesus said, you know, you who is without sin cast the first stone. And then we find out three months later that all the Pharisees were having affairs as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So the Pharisees at least <coughs> took heed of what he said. They knew their place also. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I think probably on one level they really wanted righteousness, but didn't understand. It's not our, it's not our nature to understand you know, true righteousness. But what a gift to receive that, that grace. So... It, um, it uphold, upholds the law, but holds up uh, the sinner. Any other thoughts or questions? Well, we got to go to church. Yes, dear? Ask the hard one. Oh, no, no, no. It was, yeah. It's really neat how, um, I don't know if anybody else was in Gil's class a couple of weeks ago. He was teaching them what on the... They were all here, honey. Yeah, we yeah, were here. Yeah. I guess it was several weeks ago. <laughs> 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 no, at the end, I mean, he's teaching them the... Um, the end of Romans, and mm-hmm. he used this as the example, um, and said, you know, when this lady is there, and Jesus said, go and sin no more, it's not that he's saying, okay, I forgive you this time, but you better mm-hmm. watch out, you know, you better not do this again. It's not a directive; it's like a it's a declaration mm-hmm. for her that that you know, obviously he knows that she has trusted, right? yeah, and that when God, it's like he's saying, when God sees you now. He does not see your sin. Mm-hmm. You sin no more yeah. in his eyes because of Christ's righteousness. I always thought, I thought well, I always, I always um, viewed grace from a position of scarcity. Like, I'm coming again. I know you're probably running low. And um, <laughs> I'm really sorry. There's no scarcity.
Joe Pitts, Pitts always said, described it as law is the occasion for grace. Law is the occasion for grace. Yeah, that's good. That's good. He was a wise man. Is a wise man. Is a wise man. Let's pray real quick. Uh, Heavenly Father, thanks so much for your grace. Let it be the reality, the enabling reality of our hearts uh, and our lives. We thank you. We will be with you in glory because we are in Christ. Amen. Amen.